listening to Rock and Roll Flashback with your hosts, Jumpin' John McDermott and Bill Price. Welcome to Rock and Roll Flashback. I'm Jumpin' John McDermott, and we'll be looking back at some of rock and roll's greatest artists, songs, and stories. Today we will focus on another British invasion band to hit America's shores in 1964, the Moody Blues Part 2. I will focus on the Mark II version of the band from 1967 to 1977 and their core seven albums. After the success of the Moody Blues version of Go Now in 1965, the band failed to have any follow-up hits. With the departure of Clint Warwick and Denny Lane the next year, the band took a brief break and reformed in November 1966. By then, Boulevard de la Madeleine had made the Belgian charts and won them more fans, which helped when they relocated to Belgium for a short time. Joining Mike Pinder, Ray Thomas, and Graham Edge were two new members, John Lodge, their bassist friend from El Riot, who is now finished with his education, and Justin Hayward, formerly of the Wild Three. Hayward was recommended to Mike Pinder by Eric Burden of The Animals and was endorsed by famed UK singer Marty Wilde, the leader of The Wild Three. Pinder phoned Hayward after reading his lead guitarist letter and was impressed when Hayward played him his single London Is Behind Me during their car ride to meet with the other members in Escher. After financial misfortune and confrontation with an audience member, the Mark II version of the band realized that their style of American blues covers and novelty tunes was not working and decided to perform primarily their own material. They were introduced to DECA staff producer Tony Clark, who produced a recording version uh, which saw Justin Hayward's Fly Me High and Mike Pinder's older styled really haven't got the time as the Mark II Moody's first single released in May of 1967. Uh, these received radio airplay and favorable reviews, but failed to chart in the UK. However, their new style, featuring the symphonic sounds of Pinder's Mellotron, uh, was later introduced on Pinder's song Love and Beauty, and that was backed with Hayward's Leave This Man Alone in September 1967. Uh, this 45-2 was not a UK hit, but further established their new identity. Ray Thomas's flute became a far more featured instrument from this point onward as they started incorporating distinct psychedelic influences, which was later developed into a concept album revolving around a day in the life of every man. The Moody Blues contract with Decca Records was set to expire, and they owed the label several thousand pounds in advances. They had the support of Decca A&R manager Hugh Mendel, who had been instrumental in the recent establishment of London Decca's new subsidiary imprint, Derham Records. So with Mendel's backing, the new Moody Blues were offered a deal to make a rock and roll version of Antonin Dvorak's New World Symphony to promote the company's new dynamic stereo sound audio format, in return for which the group would be forgiven their debt. 
The Moody Blues agreed, but insisted that they be given artistic control of the project. Mendel, as executive producer, was able to provide this despite Decca's dominating attitude to their artists. The group soon abandoned the project and managed to convince Peter Knight, who had been assigned to arrange and conduct the orchestral interludes, to collaborate on a recording that used the band's original material instead. The LP was a concept album that takes place over the course of a single day. The album drew inspiration in production and arrangement from the pioneering use of the classical instrumentation of the Beatles, to whom Pinder had introduced the Mellotron that year. Uh, Pinder claimed that, with his encouragement, the Beatles purchased four Mellotrons and used one of them in the song Strawberry Fields Forever and also in other Beatles recordings. Mike Pinder had earlier worked for Streetly Electronics, the company that manufactured the Mellotron, and he was an expert at testing and fixing the Mellotron tape loops, which could be quite finicky. The Moody's concept album also incorporated the fictitious London Festival Orchestra. This was a collection of Decca's classical musicians, and in this album they provided an orchestral link, a framework to the group's already written and performed songs. The London Festival Orchestra added overture and conclusion sections on the album, including backing up Graham Edge's opening and closing poems, which were recited by Pinder. Strings were added to the latter portion of the album version of Hayward's Nights in White Satin. Those strings were absent on the single release of that song, but the orchestra and group never performed together on the recording. Basically, the band's rock and instrumentation centering on Pinder's Mellotron was recorded first. So the LP was produced with the band recording a song, then the track was presented to Peter Knight, then he composed a suitable linking orchestral portion. The album was as much an original work by Knight himself as it was by the group. The composing credits were listed on the sleeve as Red Wave hyphen Knight, although Hayward wrote the hits Nights in White Satin and Tuesday Afternoon. Tony Clark was effectively the sixth Moody. He produced this album and afterwards continued working with the band, producing their albums and singles for the next 11 years. Engineer Derek Varnels also contributed heavily to the creation of the early Moody studio sound. Varnels worked with Pinder and Clark to create a more symphonic overlapping sound on the Mellotron, as opposed to the sharp cutoff the instrument normally gave. This was partly achieved by removing all of the sound effects tapes and then doubling up on the tapes of the orchestral instrument sounds. This effect, combined with Pinder's playing ability and Varnell's recording skills, created the ultimate orchestral sound of the Moody Blues. Darham executives were initially very skeptical about the hybrid style of the resulting concept album. Released in November 1967, Days of Future Past peaked at number 27 on a British LP chart. However, five years later, it reached number three on the U.S. Billboard chart. In Britain, the two singles from the album didn't initially catch on. Nights in White Satin only made it to number 19 on the British singles chart in early 68, and Tuesday Afternoon didn't chart at all. However, the 
two singles were wisely reissued in December of 1972. Nights in White Satin reached number nine on the UK singles chart and number 14 on the charts on another reissue at the end of 1979. In the US, Nights in White Satin did not make Billboard chart in 68, but with the re-release in 1972, it reached number two. Tuesday Afternoon was more successful on its initial U.S. release, peaking at number 24 on the Billboard Hot 100. The second album, the 1968 follow-up LP, In Search of the Lost Chord, climbed to number five on the U.K. albums chart and reached number 23 on the Billboard 200. It included Legend of a Mind, a song written by Ray Thomas in tribute to LSD guru Timothy Leary, which encompassed a flute solo performed by Thomas. The band members were friends with Timothy, and four members of the Moody's had taken LSD together at the start of 1967. A promotional film for the song was filmed on location at a castle near Brussels, Belgium. The band rented a wide assortment of instruments for this album, including uh, Justin Hayward on sitar. Hayward's Voices in the Sky charted as a single in the UK at number 27, as did Lodge's Ride My Seesaw, which was number 42 in the UK, number 61 in the US, and number 15 in France. Graham Edge found a significant secondary role in the band, as a writer of poetry, and some of their early albums from the late 60s began with various band members reciting poems by Edge. And these poems were conceptually related to the lyrics of the songs that followed. The band's third album, 1969's On a Threshold of a Dream, reached number one in the UK and number 20 in the Billboard 200. Hayward, Edge, and Pinder share the opening narration on Edge's In the Beginning, and that led into Hayward's Lovely to See You. Hayward's song Never Comes a Day was issued as a single, but only reached number 91 in the U.S. The band's music continued to become more complex and symphonic with heavy amounts of double tracking and reverberation on the vocal tracks. And this resulted in 1969's fourth album, To Our Children's Children's Children. This concept album was inspired by the U.S. of A.'s first moon landing. The opening track, Higher and Higher, saw Pinder simulate a rocket blast off on keyboards, and then he narrated Edge's lyrics. All four songwriters contributed great material led by Hayward's Gypsy and Thomas's Eternity Road. It was also during 1969 that the band established their own label, called Threshold, under license to Decca Records. To Our Children's Children's Children was the first of their albums to release on their own label. The song Watching and Waiting was issued as a single on a Threshold label but failed to chart. However, the album was very well received as it hit number two in the UK and number 14 on the Billboard 200. In 2018, the album review's blog rated this album as the Moody Blues' best album. Although the Moody's had by now defined a somewhat psychedelic style and helped to define the progressive rock sound, the group decided to record an album that could be played in concert. This fifth album, in 1970, called A Question of Balance, reached number three in the American charts 
and number one in the British charts. Hayward's Question, in a different version, was issued as a single, reaching number five in the UK and number 21 in the US. Hayward's guitar tone with effects pedals created a very melodic, buzzing guitar solo sound. The Moody Blues had by now become a bill-topping act in their own right and appeared at the famous 1970 Isle of Wight Festival. Pinder's Melancholy Man was a number one single in France, and it also stood out with Hayward's Question on that 1970 album. For their next two albums, the band returned to their signature orchestral sound, which, while difficult to reproduce in concert, had become their trademark. Their sixth album, the 1971 Every Good Boy Deserves Favor, reached number one in the UK and number two in the Billboard 200. Hayward's Story in Your Eyes reached number 23 in the U.S. as a single. The title, Every Good Boy Deserves Favor, was borrowed from a mnemonic used to remember the musical notes that formed the lines of the treble clef, E-G-B-D-F. The opening track, Procession, was the only item composed by all five band members. That track depicted the evolution of music and led directly into Hayward's story in your eyes. Their seventh album was appropriately titled Seventh Sojourn in 1972, and it reached number one in the U.S. and number five in the U.K. That album addressed political and social concerns. However, I'm a, just a singer in a rock and roll band was response to their numerous fans who mistakenly read guru-like wisdom into the Moody Blues lyrics. Lodge's songs, Isn't Life Strange, reached number 13 in UK and 29 in US, and I'm a singer in a rock and roll band, reached number 36 in the UK and number 12 in the US. Seventh Sojourn also saw Pinder using the new Chamberlain instrument and Edge using an electronic drum kit. The album was opened by Pinder's Lost in a Lost World. Also standing out in the album were Pinder's song to Timothy Leary, entitled When You're a Free Man, Thomas's For My Lady, and Hayward's New Horizons. Around this time, Pinder's songs A Simple Game, 1968, and So Deep Within You, 1969, were successfully covered by the Four Tops, with Pinder winning an Ivor Novello Award for A Simple Game. Pinder also appeared on John Lennon's Imagine album in 1971. Uh, an interesting backstory here, he had been asked to accompany Lennon uh, on a Mellotron, on John Lennon's Mellotron, but the instrument's tape loops were so tangled up that Pinder, being the expert he was, was unable to fix it on short notice. So Mike Pinder picked up a tambourine and he provided additional percussion on I Don't Want to Be a Soldier, I Don't Want to Die. The 1968 to 1972 album sleeves, plus several solo sets that the Moody's did, were characterized by very striking, surreal, scenic sleeve artwork. Uh, these were mostly gatefold sleeves, and they're all done by artist Phil Travers. Beautiful work. The Moody's were also among the pioneers of the idea that a successful rock band could promote itself through their own label. 
they kind of followed the Beatles' lead when they created Apple Records, uh, the Moody's with their Threshold label. After their On the Threshold of Dream album in 1969, they had created the Threshold Records, as I mentioned, and it was prompted in part by disputes with London Durham over album design costs. Uh, <laughs> these gatefold record jackets and expensive cover art were not popular with company executives. So the idea was for Threshold to produce new albums and deliver them to London Decca, who would act as distributor. A similar way to the way the Beatles uh, tried to develop other bands, the Moody Blues attempted to build Threshold into a major label for developing new talent. A uh, couple bands come to mind were uh, Trapeze and Providence, but these efforts were really unsuccessful, and the Moody's eventually returned to a more traditional recording contracts. Nevertheless, they helped lay groundwork for other major acts to set up similar personal labels and distribution deals, including the Rolling Stones' own label and Led Zeppelin's Swan Song. All of the Moody's uh, studio releases from 69 to 99 bore the Threshold logo on at least one of their format versions. In September 1973, the Moody Blues were presented with five gold discs in Australia at the time, Australia had only awarded a total of eight. In the spring of 1974, after completing a vast world tour that culminated in a tour of Asia, the Moody Blues took an extended break. They had been recording and touring continuously for eight years, and the band members seemed exhausted. So they ended up pursuing individual recording projects for a couple years. Then in 1977, the band reconvened in California and produced the album Octave. But by now, uh, Mike Pinder was forming a family and he was done touring. It was also to be Tony Clark's last work with the band as he was distracted by family issues. Pinder was replaced for a few years by Patrick Moraz, who had been a former keyboardist from Yes. The Moody Blues would continue recording, performing, and touring under several personal variations into the next century. The 1981 album, Long Distance Voyager, would reach number one on the U.S. Billboard charts and number five in the U.K. The song Your Wildest Dreams from their 1986 album, The Other Side of Life, won them a younger generation of new fans and reached number one on Billboard's adult contemporary singles chart. Also, the video for Wildest Dreams received a Billboard Video of the Year Award. After Mike Pinder's departure, the Moody's essentially became more of a pop band, enjoying occasional chart success, transitioning into the music video era, and even experimenting with orchestral backing on stage. However, the core seven albums would remain their bread and butter at gigs, and undoubtedly factored into their 2018 entry into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This has been Rock and Roll Flashback, a look at the Moody Blues Part 2. I'm Jumpin' John McDermott, and until next time, Rock on, rock on, rock on, rock on, rock on, rock on.